G'day, I'm Derek Fildebrand, publisher of the Western Standard, and you're watching the Alberta Report, our daily uh, updates on the Alberta election campaign trail. I'm joined today by Western Standard News Editor Dave Naylor. How are you, Dave? Happy Monday. We've also got uh, one of the Western Standard's Calgary reporters in here today, uh, Jonathan Bradley. Hey, Jonathan. Doing good. Hope you are, too. I didn't ask that. Uh, we will be joined in a moment as well, though, by uh, Western Centre business reporter out of our Calgary office, Sean Polzer. Uh, we're going to be talking about a third NDP candidate in the election here who's now been exposed with explicit communist or communist party links. Uh, we're going to talk about the latest polls. Uh, they're finally starting to conflict with one another. They've all been kind of grouped up saying more or less the same thing. Now they're starting to show slightly different things. Um, as well as uh, an NDP candidate... Uh, in the Calgary area, compared Alberta's oil to slavery and said that Albertans are a bunch of oil-entitled rednecks. I actually agree. I didn't know that it was a pejorative thing. So, yeah, sure, of course. Of course yeah. we are. What's his point? Yeah, I didn't know that was an insult. Uh, before we get going, though, I just want to thank uh, my favorite sponsor, the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Uh, I've been a member of the CSSA for over a decade, trusting them. Uh, to defend my rights as a firearms owner as Canada's leading firearms rights organization. If you're not yet a member, go to cssa-cila.org or Google them like I do and click on membership and join today. It's absolutely cru crucial uh, for gun owners to band together to defend their rights to possess uh, firearms in Canada. Okay, we're going to start uh, with you, Jonathan. Uh, yes. This was actually your, uh, your exclusive story. Uh, we've had two uh, NDP candidates so far uh that you've managed to find uh yes. evidence photographic and otherwise of links to communism or communist parties yes. rod loyola and another candidate so far uh but you have a third one uh yes you uh, came up with uh, just this weekend yes so this candidate is gurinder brar he's running in calgary northeast and the evidence i was provided to show that he had connections to the to communism was uh, some of his facebook posts that he made so he made one Facebook post in 2016 sharing a uh, post honoring uh, former Chinese president Mao Zedong, who was involved with the Cultural Revolution. And it, it, Mao was yeah, involved with it, led it, the, led, led the, the Cultural Revolution. Led the Cultural had Revolution. Some involvement. Which we should mention <laughs> had a death toll that in the minimum, minimum estimates has several tens of millions yes. of murdered people, murdered Chinese people. So the first post was a quote from Mao talking about uh, armed revolution, and Grinderbar shared it with the caption, for those who say armed wars and solution, read carefully. The second post that he shared about was pro-communism was he shared a meme uh, juxtaposing Santa Claus and Karl Marx and was joking about Santa Marx and how Santa Marx is going to take all of the children's toys and redistribute them equally. Mm -hmm. And then the third post was another quote from Mao talking about who are people's friends, who are people's enemies, this is the first question that you need to think about before you engage in a revolution. This was another Mao quote. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I think a lot of people don't know really what the cultural revolution was, but yes. yeah, under, uh, by even the most conservative estimates, Mao Zedong, communist dictator of China has at least quite a few holocausts to his name of murdered people under, under his rule. Uh, any has the NDP uh, issued any kind of statement, retraction, apology for one of their candidates promoting things from the individual who probably has killed more people than anyone else in human history? Yeah, out, easily outdoing Hitler and probably easily outdoing even Stalin 
uh, 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 Genghis Khan? Nothing. I haven't seen anything from the NDP, haven't seen anything from the candidate. When I contacted the candidate, actually, I decided to phone the, the campaign office and all that I got was one of his campaign volunteers saying, oh, okay, I'll send him a text right now and we'll see if he gets back to you. And that's, that's it. Has the NDP issued any kind of statement distancing themselves from Mao? Absolutely nothing. Dave, I feel like we have this conversation every day on Alberta Report. It's like a pattern is developing, isn't it? You know, when yeah. you, you, you find one red under the bed and there's two reds under the bed and three reds under the bed. Hey, I can the only, little one said. Uh, I don't know what the little <laughs> one said. I can only just wonder if there might be more. I mean, we've discovered three. Who knows how many are underneath there? I, Dave, have you seen a peep anywhere in the government-funded and legacy media about now the third communist candidate? No, it, it continues radio silence, and uh, I uh, wouldn't, wouldn't expect them to touch it at all. I feel like we're having this conversation almost every day Stereo. for the last few days. So I'm kind of running out of ways to phrase this to you, but why the hell is this not news? I mean, if, <laughs> if a UCP candidate was discovered with even the vaguest, most tangential sympathy towards Nazism, this would be front page news, probably national news. He'd be fired as a candidate and the party probably doomed on election day. But here we can't get so much as a footnote from a single one of the government-funded media in Alberta. And I feel like that wouldn't have happened even four years ago. They were bad no. four years ago, but I feel like I feel like something's changed. Why the hell is it just zero? Like, this is clearly relevant news. Well, you've got to consider the source, Derek. It's us. And the mainstream media does not like us. They don't like us in any way, shape, or form because we're coming in and we're, we're mowing their lawn. And we're getting all the good election exclusives that, that they're not. So if they were to follow follow one of our stories, it would mean they'd have to uh, acknowledge Correct. our existence. Yeah. And, and, and they don't want to do that. Uh, plus the fact that the, the, the legacy, main, legacy media is, is mainly a supporter of uh, Rachel Notley and the NDP. And that's the main reason you're not seeing anything in it. So, uh, Jonathan, this is now the third uh, communist or yes. communist-linked NDP candidate running in this election that you found. Uh, tell us quickly about uh, the other two that you've unearthed. So the first one was Rod Loyola, who was running in Edmonton Ellerslie, and he was discovered to have marched with the Communist Party of Canada Edmonton Club in a parade. I was provided with a photo indicating it was him. He's clearly at the front of the pack. He's wearing a black hat, black jacket, and black track pants. And what's interesting is Rod Loyola... Track pants, uh, that, that means he's Russian. Everyone knows <laughs> Russians love wearing track pants. And what's interesting, though, is that there's no timestamp on when the photo was. I was unable to find out when it was, but based on some of Rod Loyal's actions, it is credible. And in the photo, you can clearly see that it is him walking in the parade. And the other... Well, he, we had, there had previously been video of him praising, yes. Hugo, having kind of a weird secular seance and prayer for uh, Hugo Chavez after he had uh, passed away, the communist dictator of Venezuela. So we already knew he was kind of in there. And he had performed as a pro-communism rapper in 2007 with songs honoring uh, communist leaders such as Che Guevara and Fidel Castro. But that was a new that was a new thing that you dug up as well, right? No, no, no. Uh, that was from the uh, last election, 2019. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. All right, and, and then, uh, so, uh, and who is behind communist door number two? Communist number, door number two is Diana Baden, who's the NDP candidate in Calgary, Acadia. And she shared a, she retweeted a post from a pro-communism account, which uh, 
was called Vote Communism May 4th, and next to the name there were hammer and sickle symbols. So with that, she retweeted a pro-communism post honoring American hacker Aaron Swartz, who had broken into MIT's uh, information system to attempt to steal articles from JSTOR, which is a scholarly database, and the post was basically honoring him and his work. You know, normally we'd have a big, long conversation about this, but it's just kind of the third communist uh, in as many, at least, uh, business days as we've had here. Um, and just absolutely zero pickup from uh, legacy media. Nothing. I mean, there have been times when we've done stories where the, the mainstream media does end up picking it up. But like over the old college, like, oh, Western Standard broke this or a oh, Western Standard reporter, you know, asked this question and it led mm -hmm. to this. Um, but radio silence on this. I mean, I haven't seen that many oppo stories done on candidates, really, except for uh, Kevin Mentigam, who we're going to talk about later. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah. All right. Well, we've had a fair number of polls come out so far. And until extremely recently, they've all been more or less saying the same thing. They've been off by a few points, but they've always showed a narrow UCP lead. Um, so, you know, losing seats, but still retaining a, a majority government, probably a fairly narrow one. Uh, but now we've got some conflicting ones. So we've had, uh, we had Abacus data come out. Uh, that's, uh, most of these polling firms are, are Eastern based, but that doesn't mean they're not necessarily good. Uh, Abacus data came out and it was the first uh, during the campaign so far that showed uh, an NDP lead. Uh, not a big one, but an NDP lead. Actually, it is a big one. 7%. It's, uh, 7%? it's 8%. 8%. They've got 8%. the uh, NDP up 7 points to 43 and the UCP down 1 to 35. Okay, okay, I stand corrected. And so that's a huge swing. That's a huge. That's almost a 10-point swing because if they're 7 ahead uh, and they were behind before, that's it's almost a 10-point swing. Mm. Entirely possible, it's correct. Uh, the Smith and UCP campaign have taken some battering as of late. Uh, old quotes from Smith being uh, resurfaced, uh, fairly or unfairly, uh, having her uh, say uh, she's going to sell all the hospitals and that uh, the unvaccinated are, sorry, the vaccinated people are Nazis. Uh, which, curious, just kind of the reverse of what Justin Trudeau said of unvaccinated, and that apparently wasn't a big deal. But um, uh, and then we've got Main Street also out very recently, uh, showing UCP still has a slight uh, lead, a very slight lead, uh, and within the margin of error. Um, but let's, let's take a look at the Abacus full, uh, poll first, Dave. Uh, big takeaways, obviously, NDP in the lead, but also leading in Calgary. Yes. Uh, to me, it's, it is such a, a swing, it, it defies credibility, um, especially when you've had all the other polls uh, so close, you know, since the start of the election, even before the election, they've always been one or two points apart or, or dead heats. And for all of a sudden to to gain seven points, uh, we're, we're really, you know, you talked about some Daniel Smith stumbles, but I don't think there's seven point stumbles. Uh, certainly the uh, there's been a lot of uh, criticism of the poll uh, and social media uh, by uh, other experts who, who say it's not uh, it's not believable also, but... As you say, you never know. It's just a snapshot in time. It, it was a fairly small sample size. Generally, I, I, for an Alberta poll, uh, if it's less than a thousand people, uh, less than a thousand completed surveys, that's pretty small. I think this one was in the eight hundred uh, yeah, range. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so that's that, that's pretty small. Uh, Abacus is more in the business of doing national polls, and 
you know, so your, your, your provincial sample sizes are a bit smaller. So 800 is pretty small for it. 1,000 is where I think you start to get relatively credible. Um, and uh, do we know how much, uh, what the sample size of the Main Street poll was? Uh, to be honest, I don't. Okay. I thought it was about 1,500. 1,500? So yeah, so probably that, that, rings, that rings yeah. a bell. Um, uh, so, yeah, the, the Main Street still has UCP in a slight lead. Um, Sean, the um, polls with, uh, you know, it's entirely possible the NDP does have a big lead as, or, or reasonably biggish lead, as Abacus is saying. But generally, there's a trend to get there. It doesn't flip overnight. Even if you have a big debate where one side crushes the other, uh, you'll see some overnight quick movement. But to get all the way from, you know, being behind to a seven-point lead, it takes a few days to get there. And we just hadn't seen this. Uh, I don't know. Uh, your, your take on the Abacus poll. Um, one of the questions that came up to me was uh, the methodology. And um, because we've got a bit of a demographic divide in this province as well, the UCP uh, voters tend to be maybe a little older and more established. Younger ones, you know, they don't have landlines. They're going off cell phones. They're filling out web survey forms. So I was, I didn't have a chance to have a look at how they actually conducted the poll, but it seemed to me that maybe they were using a slightly different method than maybe some of the other ones. What struck me was that all of the. Um you know, all of the demographic information is obviously going to be have to be obtained by the pollster because you, you don't know if someone is white, Asian, black, or what age they are when you call them. Right. Um, but we generally know, at least for the landlines, uh, where they're located. Um, and none of their geographic breakdowns were based on that. It was all just they asked them where they live. So... That, that's a bit odd. Now, you kind of have to do that for cell phones. But for landlines, we do know. Right. We can say, okay, if we're calling this number, this, you know, nine, uh, 937 is in Strathmore. We know that's a Strathmore number. Right. Um, they didn't do any of that. It was all just kind of self-reported. So you, I, I don't know. It, uh, it so, was a funny poll. But, you know, I'm not going to dismiss it out of hand. It's entirely possible. It's correct. But we're going to have to wait and see a few others. I like to take an aggregate of this. That's why I like websites like 338.com. They're not doing their own polling for the most part, but they're they're taking aggregates of everyone's polls, kind of averaging them out, uh, maybe weighting them a little differently based on how credible an established polling firm is, and then trying to apply it as best as possible to the riding level to see the way it's it's going to turn out. There's still a good chunk of undecided too, which we haven't yeah. talked about. Uh, I think the Main Street poll had it at uh, at 11 percent, uh, so still uh, that's coming down. Coming down uh, was, I think, up around 18 or 19 percent at one mm -hmm. point, but uh, still, a, still a good chunk out there. 11 percent is not not huge, though, and you know, kind of the, the default. It's not always the case, but the default among pollsters is they're going to break the undecided on election day are going to break disproportionately among uh, how parties are currently polling. So they'll, you know, if uh, if it's two to one for party A over party B. The undecideds will probably break two to one for party A, and then for party B as well. That's, and that's a generally correct rule of thumb. Not, it's not always the case, but it's generally rule of thumb. I should also note uh, tomorrow the Western Center is going to have some exclusive polling of our own. We have contracted um, a, uh, uh, a fairly new polling firm, but it's uh, I, I know some of the people behind it. It's uh, made up of some very good, experienced pollsters, particularly pollsters in Alberta. And so we're going to have some great uh, 
exclusive data with huge sample sizes, um, <laughs> three times the size of the uh, Abacus poll. So uh, 2,500 completed surveys, including some, uh, some polls that break down some of the key swing runnings, those bellwether constituencies that'll tell you, you know, if, if the UCP wins this one or the NDP wins that one, that's a good indicator of who's, who's going to win government. So we're going to have some really great stuff coming up there. Looking forward to that. So, uh, Sean, we're going to switch gears here. Um, yesterday, you, uh, you went to a press conference uh, helped by the UCP down in Okotoks, mm -hmm. and um, they, uh, I suppose, had unearthed uh, some sections of a book that uh, the NDP candidate <coughs> around there had written uh, that was uh, not, not even just anti-oil, I'd say. I'd say it was particularly spicy about Alberta oil in particular and mm -hmm. Albertans' relationship with oil. Yeah, um, comparing it to uh, slavery and energy workers or slaves because they're working for the big oil companies that are taking off their values, uh, well, their value, their economic value, sounds uh, like a fairly uh, consistent Karl Marx. Uh, that is Marxist the, theory of labor uh, yeah. and alien, Marxist theory of alienation of labor, yeah. Yeah, so not just that uh, oil and gas promote slavery around the world, but that, in fact, uh, Alberta oil workers are, are, slaves. are slaves, yeah. <laughs> The 18-year-old uh, guy I know with an F-350, <laughs> a sled and a quad, might disagree. <laughs> and a boat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Guys with more disposable income than any one of us. Yeah. Um, and also uh, said something along the, eye, along the lines that Albertans are uh, energy-entitled rednecks. Did I get that right? Yeah, sucks seemed to be the word that, that, that we're sucks, we're oil sucks, which is... Uh... Well, then where did the uh, energy-entitled rednecks part come from? Um, it was all kind of mashed together. Which I refuse to take as pejorative. Stream of consciousness. I'm like, I'm like yeah. is, that's a bad thing, energy entitled rednecks? That sounds awesome. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not taking that as an insult. My heart's a little red this morning, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so did, was this the same candidate who said that, or was another candidate who said that? Well, there's been a few or, candidates, actually. Uh, it depends on which one you talk about. Uh, Shannon Phillips was... Uh, Apparently, she wrote a preamble to a book with uh, Mike Hodima. I don't, I don't know. That, I don't know if you know Mike Hodima. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, in, crazy. He's, he's infamous. Uh, yeah, but uh, that that one's been fairly well known. Uh, yeah. for some time. That's not a new one. No, I don't think it's a new one. No, but yeah. the UCP brought them all out on Friday and just sort of listed them: this candidate, this candidate, yeah, this candidate. A... They're all anti-oil. Yeah. Uh, well, and it's funny because uh, Notley, uh, during her press conferences, every time the question comes up, like. Are you anti-oil? She always falls back on, well, we're the ones that got the pipeline built to Tidewater, the mm -hmm. uh, TMX expansion. And uh, we were talking this morning about the royalty review that they did when they were elected and just caused a lot of uncertainty, a lot of anxiety, and then really amounted to not very much. So mm -hmm. I, there's a, it seems to me that the mainstream in the party uh, probably is kind of anti-oil, pro-environment, uh, reduce emissions, and a Notley government would definitely have a focus on emissions reduction, but at the same time, it's unclear how anti-oil that it would actually be. Well, they, they have a complicated relationship, I'd say. They I, have a complicated I think it's fair to say a lot of their, you know, their candidates and certainly kind of their, the activist membership, uh, grassroots level, uh, it's pretty broadly anti-oil anti and whatnot, and, kind of the greenie movement, but 
you know, Rachel Notley, I think, is smart enough. Uh, you know, she needs those people voting for her, but it's kind of a Nixon going to China thing. They understand that she's the best they can get. Uh, you know, when she won government in 2015, it was a surprise to everyone, including herself. And they're like, holy crap. We, you know, we made some of these promises here, which we, like eight seats in 2015 would have been a victory for them. They ended up with 50-something or something with a majority government. Uh, and they realized, well, we kind of need the revenue from oil for this big expansion of social programs that we want to undergo. So they have a complicated relationship with it, Dave. And, and, and Rachel Notley has been going to pain to so at least try not to scare off moderate voters who uh, you know, might be sympathetic to some, some moderate greeny initiatives, but are certainly not anti-oil and wanting to shut it down. No, and I keep in mind uh, uh, when she, she first became a premier, first thing they did, slapped in a, in a carbon tax, which she didn't uh, campaign on. But look, if, if you're going out and you're promising on the campaign trail, 100 million here, a few hundred million here, 600 million here, 1.2 billion for Calgary, you need the oil money to pay for it. Absolutely. And if the oil money is not there, then it's, it's catastrophic for the, uh, for the government books. And they're going to be struggling even right now at $70 a barrel with all this, all this money. Well, she has promised to also increase taxes on businesses. Yes, that is true. But that'll, that'll only make so much, if anything. She's also made the point, too, that uh, when uh, they were in power, the oil revenues amounted to about $3 billion a year, so about $12 billion, And then in the last budget, they were about $27. Which, <laughs> which is a, it's a fair point. I mean, oil revenue is much higher now than it was when she was in government, but she still wanted those revenues. So I think, you know, while she has, uh, I put it this way. Her relationship to the oil industry is probably like Danielle Smith's relationship to government monopoly healthcare. They don't probably like either, but they understand politically there's a necessity of maybe not acting on your hardest instincts with these things, that voters are just not there. And in, and in Notley's case, even if voters were there, you'd be killing the golden goose and couldn't do any of the other stuff that she wants to do. And so uh, she's trying to balance it, but uh, it, it's probably not helpful, Sean, that she's got these candidates that just keep popping up with these hardline kind of extreme anti-oil comments uh, that, that are not like flippant Facebook posts. Like uh, this particular guy, uh, you wrote this in a book that yeah. has presumably been edited and published and probably proofread by the author at least once before being published. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully you think about what not a rage, you say before it, This you was not rage it. posting on Twitter. This, no. was, this was a book. Yeah, it was kind of a articulated theory it, and it didn't seem to me like you said it had uh, some pretty basic marxist principles that you learn in political philosophy and university yeah yeah well we won't consider that communist number four but <laughs> definitely borrowing on you marxist. do see the link though eh? <laughs> oh, it is, it is <laughs> clearly using marxist theory of alienation <clears throat> of labor and for the kids at home who don't know what that is <laughs> don't read it it'll make you dumber Okay, oh, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining, and thank all of you for joining the Alberta Report today. We're going to be back again tomorrow with updates, and as promised, with exclusive polling done for the Western Standard. We'll see you tomorrow. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, and God bless. The current Lethbridge feed grain prices are as follows. Cash barley is up $2 at $4.07. Feed wheat is up $4 at $4.08. And corn is up $4 at $394 per ton. In the milling wheat markets, July Minneapolis futures gained 25.5 cents at $8.71.
with local hardware and spring bid for May movement at $10.30 per bushel. In the oil seeds nearby canola futures jumped $16 at $729 per ton, with delivered values for May movement at $16.36 per bushel. In the pulse markets nearby red lentil prices are trading at $0.34 cents per pound, and yellow peas remain at $11.50 per bushel. In the cattle markets, June live cattle slipped $0.50 cents at $163.90 per hundredweight. I'm David Lee at Marketplace Commodities, accurate real-time marketing information and pricing options. Canadian Shooting Sports Association, without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada and more importantly educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. To become a member it's absolutely worth every penny. You can become a Western Standard member for just $10 a month or $99 a year for unlimited access.